Hello, everybody. Let's talk about Fangoria for a second, shall we? This classic magazine has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. The highly collectible publication comes right to your door four times a year, and each issue of Fangoria is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking, past, present, and future. With all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including, from time to time, your intrepid KingCast hosts. This high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, you'll need to subscribe. To do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. And since KingCast listeners are in the family, you can enter in the promo code KINGCAST at checkout to save a whopping 25% off your entire order. Now with all of that said, on with the show. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad love! Bad love! Guys, we're gonna go see a dead body. Well, sometimes, that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi. And I'm, oh yeah, Scott Wampler. <laughs> and we are your hosts. Our topic today is the Greaser Revenge story. Sometimes they come back. And our guest is the very funny creator and star of Netflix's Love, who you might also recognize from his appearances in great stuff like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Drunk History, Bob's Burgers, and even Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. It should be noted that our guest is also one half of the very funny podcast with Gorley and Rust, which these two friends digging in a genre fair. The recent run of horror flicks all happen to be Stephen King movies, so it is very fitting that he is here to talk about yet another King title. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Paul Rust to the KingCast stage. Oh, hey. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Eric. Oh, Scott. delighted! Yes, Ooh, yeah. thank you so much. We, I, I am very psyched to have you here. As I told you before, I, I've been listening to with Gorley and Rust, uh, you know, through Jesus for years. And you know, you guys started with was it Halloween or was it Friday the Thirteenth? I always forget. Uh, Yes, it began with uh, Friday the 13th. Friday. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I was... started with Halloween, then listened back, because the Friday the 13th were like uh, behind a paywall or something, I think, when I first started oh, we... listening. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, um, well, paywall, shmaywall, I hate paywalls, get those out of here, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but uh, Vespi, yeah. owner of a Patreon, coming out hard <laughs> against table. I love my paywall, don't don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm just saying I, at... I was I was a poor podcast listener mm-hmm. <laughs> follow me at patreon.com paywall shmaywall uh, <laughs> uh yeah no it all began because i was watching uh friday the 13th part two one night and uh i i just uh you know fired off a tweet about you know the friday the 13th movies just really work when you enjoy being with the counselors and they're your friends and you like them because then you're really sad when they die. You know, I just went on some sort of Friday the 13th rant. <laughs> yeah. And Matt Gorley uh, uh, replied to me on Twitter and was like, I love these movies. Do you want to do a podcast about it? I said, yes. So we did Friday the 13th and then Halloween and then, yes, Nightmare on Elm Street and then branched off to many other genre, uh, horror genre uh, stuff. But I'm, I'm glad you like it. Thank yes. you for listening, Eric. I, yeah, I, yeah. I do like the evolution because you guys were tied to 
franchises for so long. And now I do love that now you're branching out into just horror on the whole, right? Where like, I, I mean, you guys didn't yeah. have sleepaway camp, which is one of my favorites. Uh, you know, you, you guys, you're not just tied to the Chuckies of the world or the leprechauns <laughs> or whatnot, you know, like, and I do like yeah. that. And I, I love in particular, your run on King, obviously, uh, you know, I get course, weirdly, yeah. you might expect I have a soft spot <laughs> for Stephen King yeah. uh, stuff and listening to other people talk about it. But, uh, what's really interesting is that, you know, you're covering different kinds. It allows you to, to vary up where it's not all the Friday, the 13th are fun, but they're mm-hmm. all the same thing over and over again, essentially. But when you're doing a, a broader, like Stephen King discussion, you know, you're jumping from, you know, Pet Cemetery to Cujo to, you know, Maximum Overdrive. It's all wildly different experiences. Exactly. That's what's been so fun about it. It's just like, uh, yeah, after around like, you know, uh, the eighth Michael Myers movie where he's being uh, <laughs> controlled by the runes of the, oh, God. <laughs> of, you know, the, the blah, blah, blah. Cult. Uh, yeah. yeah, I really do then appreciate being like, oh, my God. We get a werewolf slasher movie with Silver Bullet, and then we get to follow that up with like uh, just a great <laughs> Castle Rock produced uh, early '90s thriller like Misery. Like mm-hmm. being able to have those uh, in a run is just like yeah, it's a it's a joy. I mean, it's a testament to the the stories and Stephen King's imagination, but um, the wellspring of uh, movies that have come out of him. But then you even kind of look at the. Um, other movies that come have come out of the movies that have been made. So like something like stand by me, you know, is a Stephen King movie, but like you wouldn't have wonder years <laughs> without stand by me. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have like Sandlot. So this whole like mini genre of the boomer voiceover sixties, <laughs> like con- gentle nostalgia, which honestly kind of appears and sometimes they come back here. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, like, that he built that genre. If Stephen King was never, if Mr. and Mrs. Stephen King's parents never had Stephen King, that whole run would have never existed. Who knows if the, uh, the modern kind of, uh, horror anthology of uh creep show would exist like tales from the crypt. Uh, it, it Nine really motherfucking children of the corn movies. <laughs> Well, we really, you know, you need nine movies to explore what's going, the man behind the, the rose, <laughs> the rose, the he, yeah, he who walks behind the rose. Yeah. And uh, it's so, so much so that you have to bring it into, you know, downtown Chicago as you do by the what, third <laughs> movie. The third movie was Urban Harvest, right? So, oh my God, already by the third movie, they're going. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're done. The they're done with Nebraska by the third movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was so sorry to be so passionate up top and just like jump all over the place. But the, Matt did, Matt Gorley, my co-host, did feel Children of the Corn is the one that's most ripe for somebody to do uh, a new version of because the premise is so great, but the adaptation is kind of, I mean, I have a soft spot for it being from Iowa and it's like filmed there, but it's a bit of trash. It could be really cool. A deserted well, town with a bunch of spooky kids. Sign me I up. I mean, they've they've taken like three runs at it now. <laughs> you know, there's there's a point where you got to say maybe it's shit. Like I'm, I'm thinking the same thing about Firestarter. Frankly, yeah. Like, maybe at a certain point you just tap out on this one and say no, it wasn't meant to be. Yeah, well, we Scott, gave it a shot. <laughs> Scott, I want to. Yeah. Go ahead. Go oh ahead. no, no, you go ahead. 
I was going to say, I want to get to your Stephen King origin story in a yes. second. But first, I would like to interrogate you a little bit about Inglorious yes. Bastards, if that's all right. Ooh, yeah. Is it true that, that Tarantino created that role just for you? You weren't in the script originally. Yes? Oh, no, that's putting it like way too... Uh, uh, <laughs> showbiz origin story no 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 it was like he, he needed to fill out a group of uh, people and and uh oh that i think that character had a last name and and i just uh kagan kagan andy kagan private andy kagan yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> no, what's his middle no. name paul <laughs> what's the day-to-day like on a tarantino <laughs> stuff? <laughs> we'll just i won't answer the middle name question uh because uh, i don't know <laughs> uh, uh, but the day to day is, um, it's funny cause it was probably my third or fourth time on a set. So it ever, ever. Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> exactly. So I'm like figuring it out already kind of trying to figure out even what this is. And now I guess 11 years later having, many more experiences on set and having the ability now to compare them and kind of look back at it with those eyes. The thing that like is really notable to me is just the absolute level of passion for not just filmmaking, but creativity. It's like the whole crew is a buzz, just like so excited to be generating what they can to the, to the project. Obviously all the actors are, uh, and then it all comes from Quentin. So whether it's like playing soul music on the speakers during setups, just to keep people's spirits up or, you know, after a take, the people know this, but like having like the crew, when you're trying to get everybody excited for one more take, you go, we're going to do one more take and why? And everybody says, because we love making movies or after the hundredth (laughs) reel, uh, every hundredth reel champagne is brought out and popped. It's just like, it's so fun. Uh, and you're just talking movies. Everybody loves talking movies. You're talking. I mean, I had probably a total of maybe like 12 days, so I can't uh, on set, but in retrospect, I realized like, that's what it was. The big thing is just like, right. I've never worked on this show. So I'm not like, let this stand in for all shows. I'm not being specific to a show I worked on, but it's like, it has a little bit more passion than I can imagine on the set of uh, Ray Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very specific title to jump to mind there. <laughs> yeah, but do you think anybody goes on set like being like, Ray Donovan season five, here we go! Yeah. <laughs> and it's pop that I, champagne. <laughs> yeah. And I've heard Liv Schreiber's a huge dick, so oh. <laughs> that may be very possible. Yes. I have a, I have a friend whose spouse uh, worked with him once and has just horrific stories. Oh, but <laughs> Not my it. stories to tell, but I can tell enough of this story just to just to put that out there. And I, right. uh, well, my principal was Father... Sh- I went to a Catholic school. My principal was Father Schreiber, and that guy was a dick, too. So mm. <laughs> probably just runs in he that Schreiber name. Yeah, well, we might be painting with too wide a brush <laughs> on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's uh let's went, not go went, down that road i will say though that <gasps> leah schreiber to my knowledge has not appeared into a, a stephen king adaptation but he was in phantoms so he chose his side is what i'm saying he chose <laughs> the, the dean coons 
He chose Koontz over King. And that's all you need to know about Liev Schreiber. Once you choose that side, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hard to be on SNL after you've been on Mad TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's such a perfect analogy for Koontz and King. <laughs> it is, it it's is. It's just oh not... My God. It's, it, Mad TV's not bad. There's some good stuff in Mad TV. Sure, sure. But... Hey. He has many indelible characters, like who? Stuart? Come on. <laughs> that that requires that you've seen Mad TV. I've seen just enough of it to know that one. So, um. Stuart is a great character. Uh, I also uh, am quite fond of Stan the Java Man. Unfamiliar. Don't know that gotta, one. Gotta be honest. Uh, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. <laughs> I watched a cumulative 10 minutes of Mad TV. Like, in my life. I, I knew not to. I I was like an SNL kid growing up. And, of course, you yeah. Know, so uh, oh, I spent like six months in uh, quarantine on archive dot org, working through everybody. Somebody put up full episodes of SNL from seventy five till now. And oh wow! To go through those like eighty eighty one period, and then that like eighty one to eighty two when they brought back Michael O'Donohue. Hmm. There's like six episodes that are just the most bonkers shit you have ever seen. And it's so dark and weird. And like, uh, there's a Bill Murray episode where a family, I don't know if you've ever seen, like works, lives next to a nuclear plant and they come in and uh, it's like Cronenbergian. There's like a, their body has grown like this like vaginal thing that they couldn't show on TV and they have to feed it. It's uh, <laughs> extraordinary. <laughs> I'm sorry, I lost track of the conversation. Are we still talking about Mad TV? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, when we're talking about feeding vaginal things on our body, uh, we've maybe gone <laughs> astray here. So sorry about that. Well, that's typical for this show. Um, <laughs> now, let's get to the uh, the question we ask all of yes. our guests. What is, what is your Stephen King origin story? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Stephen King, I probably, my ears first, perked up or I saw the name emblazoned on a cover um, in a way that um, it was almost like uh, contraband. Uh, I went to a Catholic school, as I said, and uh, it would be sort of like, oh, my buddy Steve is walking down the hallway with this big, thick book that says (laughs) it on it, and it's got a claw Coming yeah. out of the sewer grate. Wow, that's cool. And I remember my <laughs> first thought when I heard there were horror novels was, wait, you could read some, but something that would scare you? Why would I read any other bullshit? You know, <laughs> like, why would I waste my time? Uh, <laughs> but uh, because it was like, hidden in a Catholic school, later I found out Steve got called, it, his parents got called in being like, your son has been reading Stephen King. It, it, in retrospect, I realize kind of has a, a, a tinge of like the um, original, like EC comics. Yeah. Uh, what, whatever was going on there being a child in third grade and like 1990, late eighties, sort of the fumes of some sort of Christian coalition decade. <laughs> there, there was something kind of like very thrilling about, yeah, being at your Catholic school and looking over and seeing a cover with a claw coming out of a sewer grate. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. 
breaks up the monotony. So yeah, and then from that point forward, um, I mean, I must confess, uh, I've only uh, read The Shining and Carrie. Uh, I loved both books. Uh, but uh, as more of a, you know, my wife is well-read. I'm the illiterate hick. Uh, <laughs> she's read practically every Stephen King book. And I, she, um, I get the thrill of recess being with my friend Steve. She's like the one the next day retelling me what she read in a Stephen King book. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> then what happened? Then what happened? She's like, okay, well, I'll tell you when I read some more. Uh, <laughs> but um, so it's more of the Stephen King movies than I guess throughout my life have been the the thing that have hit me hard. Like, And then I would say it's probably like, yeah, Carrie, Shining, and uh, Christine are, are, were the three three biggies. Hmm. And so which are your... Well, I mean, you you provide us a, 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 as a list of of your preferred king titles. So I guess I know what your preferred king <laughs> titles are. Yes, I don't need to ask that question. Yeah, I'd say it's and, always a it's a bit of always a fight between uh, for number one with Carrie and The Shining in terms of the movie adaptations. Uh, right now, I would say Carrie is number one. Right now, uh, maybe in six months, I'd feel differently. And then third is always like uh yeah christine and then you know dead zone let's say is up there too dead zone very solid very solid yeah. feature and then oh and then misery those are probably like the top five for me right uh, Good picks. and then i and then i love of course like any true movie fan i just love all of the drawers any drawer that comes out so you know sign me up for the silver bullets and the maximum overdrives i was happy to see dino de, de laurentis uh his name emblazoned on this movie yeah uh, because he made some real good uh fucking trash <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> dino is like uh he is his place in king's uh body of work is is fairly pronounced and whenever he pops up, it is is always a, a cause for celebration. Little Dino <laughs> in there, screaming yep. at people, making things happen, not yeah. caring how good the movies are. Just a legend. It's really yeah. weird, too, because his association with King starts with The Dead Zone, which is stone cold, like classic top tier, really yep. professionally handled, you know, Obscure. just a great serious takes it serious movie and and then you know he then he does cat's eye you know it's like <laughs> and he just it just goes full on in the schlock and yeah i mean i think we both have a, an affinity for silver bullet like i love silver bullet sure. uh, but even that one is like it definitely has one foot in the uh, in the b movie territory you know pretty hardcore so yeah matt and i matt gorley and i we we were kind of clocked it it happens when Early on, it seemed like Stephen King's name and property alone wouldn't be enough. So you package it with an auteur like De Palma or a Kubrick or Cronenberg or Carpenter. And at some point, Stephen King's name was strong enough alone. You didn't need those auteurs getting in there. And so we, uh, Matt came across this factoid. I'm sure you guys know it of like, uh, Children of the Corn had a budget. Uh, they wanted to have Stephen King's Children of the Corn as the title. And Stephen King was like, if you're going to do that, you just have to pay me more because that, that, you know, he's fair to ask that. But they took it out of the budget then. So that meant like $500,000 <laughs> is taken out of the budget of the movie. That is just 
<laughs> that isn't even a metaphor. That is such a clear eyesight of like, we prefer to have the title as a marketing ploy uh, rather than actually serve it with a good movie. And I mean, that couldn't be more further away from a, 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 a uh, you know, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining or uh, <laughs> right. 83 to 84. It literally goes from John Carpenter's Christine to Stephen King's Children of the Corn. It's not, you know, Mark Lester's Firestarter. <laughs> right. Perhaps that's why he was so pissed off around about the time they tried that bullshit with uh, Lawnmower Man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I bet so, man. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. Would hey, make sense. Is, it's been a decade of this, guys. Cut it out. <laughs> yeah, and they really New Line really fucked around with him on that one. Yeah, you know? but it, it is very profitable for Mr. King's bank account. Like in the research oh, that I did on that one, the most money I think King has ever made on anything that ever had his name on or that he optioned or whatever has been on uh, uh, Lawnmower Man because he he not only got paid up front and then he sued them and got paid and then they like didn't. Uh, uh, they they like uh, uh, went back on the lawsuit and they like put out for a home video on Lawnmower Man Stephen King's name on it somehow I don't know if it was an accident or they just like were, oh. you know just thought they could get away with it then they had to pay him again and he made something like twelve million dollars or something off of oh my god off of I mean uh, his lawsuits on Lawnmower Man and then it's doing what a lawsuit is supposed to do which is then like any crummy movie coming along the coming down the pike isn't going to do that I mean he. he it did serve a purpose. Right. It's not like then it was like uh, Stephen King's. Uh, what what movie can I punch down on from the late nineties and just uh, put his name on? But yeah, anyway, Stephen King's Carrie Two, <laughs> the, the Rage, rage Carrie Two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that had that had work. But also, fuck those guys anyway. So yeah. Um, <laughs> So you, for, in terms of your title, you have brought us Sometimes They Come Back. We we recently discussed this on our uh, one-year anniversary ship episode. Uh, and Two years. Two years, Scott. We were two, two years old. Yes, two years old. Oh, well, time flies when you're having fun, you know? <laughs> um, and, and like, uh, uh, we only had about five, six minutes to talk about it. And I didn't revisit either the book or the, uh, or excuse me, the story or the movie. Uh, in preparation for that episode, because we only had five minutes. But I did revisit uh, this movie today, found it to be uh, a lot better than I remembered, honestly. And um, I'm curious what 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 caused you to add this particular title to your list? Uh, yeah, I um, I've always really uh, for the for I'd say a good like 10 years now. But certainly when I was watching all these Stephen King movies in the last few months just been really hungry to go back and revisit this movie because i remember watching it when it first aired in primetime on cbs and 91. it was 91 yeah what was that like fall 91 or like spring 91 oh i don't know you know, I don't. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't number, mean that. I got a number for you, not a season. Okay, There's, I only have my Wikipedia powers are only so strong. When you said I got a number for you, I imagined you like flipping the bird. I got a number for you right here. <laughs> I got a number for you right here, sugar buns. Uh, but I, I remember when I watched it um, that night, and I was a big. TV movie junkie, but specifically mm. like thriller, scary TV movie junkie. I mean, I, I think maybe the year 
previous or the year after CBS, which aired this, which it was usually ABC doing these, right? But the uh, more often, uh, I remember they also did a remake of um, I Know Who You Are and I Saw What You Did. Mm. And I love the title. Sometimes they come back and see in Stephen King's name. And yeah, because I guess this was coming out of the it miniseries had come out. Yep. Uh, Misery had won an Oscar. This movie was coming kind of in full force of uh, Stephen King being like uh, something people would very much take note of if a new um, TV movie of his was. Sure. And I remember when I watched it, the main hit I had watching it, being it, and then sort of the same hit I got watching it um, uh, before the podcast today was um, when I watched it last night was this really, uh, and it's not a slight on TV movies because I love TV movies, but it really does not feel like a TV movie to me. It, it, it mm. like, it feels a little bit more cinematic and I don't know if that's because budget. It, yeah. Budget. <laughs> and it's in a location that isn't Southern California. It's got like right. some real dead zony atmosphere. It has movie stars, uh, screenwriters who've written normally write theatrical movies. Dino De Laurentiis, the score sounds like a, a real symphony score. I mean, mm. it's like a, and then, yeah, I think it's like filmed on, I, I'm so dumb with this shit, but like it looks to be on a different film stock than some TV movies that almost kind of look like overly lit video, like somewhere between video and film. This is just like a, the last thing I'll say is in praise of this movie and why, what I felt when I saw it and what I first, when I saw it again was this is better than most TV movies <laughs> and better than a lot of cheapo Stephen King movie adaptations. Oh um, yeah. Uh, so anyway, that, that I think part of that might be like the uh, Tom McLaughlin uh, directed it, which is, you know, mm -hmm. uh, going back, he's uh, directed Friday the 13th part six, which is one of the yeah. best of the Friday sequels. Mm -hmm. And th there is something that he, he can do in terms of atmosphere. I, my, my opinion on this one's a little bit lower, I think than, than your guys's, but the, I do admit that he can bring a little bit of gravitas to something extremely goofy um, mm, like, mm -hmm. cause I mean, come on when, whenever we see the demon faces of the greaser, the greaser kids, it looks like, uh, you know, spirit Halloween store, <laughs> you know, time, but there's still some, the way he lights it and the way he goes, I don't know. It, it reminds me a little bit of, of, a, a, an EC comics vibe whenever the horror starts, right. You get the, the, the creep mm -hmm. show kind of vibe. You get the bright red lights in, you know, the, the harsh lights and, and everything, yeah. but there is an artistry to it, I think is what I'm trying to get at. Where it's not just somebody going, all right, I'm going to make this stupid, scary shit, you know, and, and look down on it. Like, you can tell he's trying. Also, it goes a little harder in the paint than most TV movies do, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I did not have any recollection of that, certainly. Mm. Like, the scene where, you know, they've got the the guy from New Heart in the car and they're like... <laughs> or no, it's not the guy from New Heart. That's a different guy. Um, it's uh, when they got the jock in the car. Yeah. And they all turn into, like, 
fucking gruesome corpses at various stages of decomposition. Mm-hmm. And then there's a shot of them like pulling the fucking knife on him. And then the next thing you see is his body parts being <laughs> thrown out a fucking window, window yeah. into a river. And I was like, what? dude? Yeah, like, I was I was super impressed. Like, I yeah. did not expect to see that. Scott, I when I saw that, I was like, whoa, this just kicked it up a notch. I paused it to see when uh, it was happening. I was like, oh, we are in the fully fucking 10 p.m. hour block. I think that's what it is. It was, it was exactly like 55 minutes. So with commercials, it would have been like, hey, kids are asleep now. We can crank it up and start throwing body parts out of a car into a river. And you know Dino made that call, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we need to see the torso go in the river. <laughs> that, well, that's Swedish. He's Italian. Yeah, yeah, he's the Swedish chef. You're doing your that, like that's Swedish my Italian chef. accent. Dino De Laurentiis' hands, it's his normal body, but then his hands are puppet hands. And he's like, we need to throw the body parts. <laughs> You're throwing the body parts off the river. You get the fuck off my set. <laughs> 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 oh, what a little whirlwind that Dino was. Yes. Yeah, God love him. But yeah, it's, you know, it, it's got production value. I was thinking that when I was watching it about the budget and like, wow, they really gave this thing enough money to do what it needed to do. And I hadn't considered that because of the timing, as you mentioned earlier, Paul, that, yeah, this was exactly in the right moment, following up misery, following up the success of it. And crucially, before the devastation wrought by the Tommyknockers miniseries in 1993. So this one came along along at just the right time. Yeah, and I think it speaks to some sort of like whatever power that the reason two-hour movies exist, why 90-minute movies exist and stuff, it does differ from something like the Tommyknockers or uh, some other kind of like more... um, what would you say? Kind of like lethargic kind of miniseries? Like, uh, Tommy Knockers just, first of all, they didn't have the budget. Second of all, it was, it's, it, there were foundational mm. problems there because the Tommy Knockers is not a good book. You could have thrown just about anyone at that project. And I don't think with the constraints mm-hmm. it was working under that it was, that it could have possibly been good. I understand why they would, that why they would make it, but. Given the yeah. circumstances, uh, I think it was the best they could do, and it was uh, not the best. So, well, I've been thinking about it like watching these King movies and stuff is like the adaptations, you know, they you could say that maybe they succeed based uh, um, on the premise. I, it's different than what you're saying because I hear what you're saying about like, oh, when it's foundational. It's right. difficult. I think sometimes people get learned. You're building by... a house on a swamp. You know, yeah, you're going to yeah, have yeah, problems. Yeah. yeah. In a green hued swamp. Uh, <laughs> yes. But like, uh, uh, you know, I think some people, some of the movies get seduced by a, a premise or that it's from the brain of Stephen King, but they don't like stop to think like, oh, but is this cinematic? So like Carrie, I think, succeeds because what Brian De Palma is bringing to it is like its own sort of form of TK. Uh, So it's like, okay, I get this. I get why this is a movie. And Hmm. with dead zone, that was the thing that most popped out. It was like this premise that I'm sure is awesome in a book is so built for a movie where you can through cutting, go to somebody's visualizations and then start doing 
this amazing thing of where he starts showing up in his visualized. I mean, it's built for movies. And I would say that seems to be the divide, uh, like the dividing factor in whether an a- adaptation can su- succeed is whether the fucking thing is cinematic or not. And like, right. You don't, I like Cujo, but you don't really want to see like a slobbery boogery snot dog attacking like a crying child. Uh, you don't, Tommy knockers, yeah. Like you don't want to see people have to go into a forest for a like. Uh, but sometimes they come back. Uh, I'll say is like the image of three or four scary greasers in a car that belches out fire out the back is cinematic. It's like I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, um, we have not laid out the plot to sometimes they come. Oh back. yeah, uh, Paul, would you would you be would you be willing to take the honors on that? Sure. <laughs> Jack Torrance has recently been fired <laughs> from his teaching job after a display of anger to another student, and he has to relocate. Uh, you wouldn't okay. be the first guest to ro- watch the wrong movie. <laughs> You're actually describing this one. You just yeah. named the wrong character. Yeah, I'm being snotty about how yeah, like this yeah. setup is pretty similar. It's like, yep. oh, the teacher who has to... Instead yes, of yes. going to run and be a caretaker for a hotel, uh, he's just getting a different job uh, back in his hometown. I just wanted setup. to make fun of Joel McHale for watching the wrong lawnmower man. I'm I'm sorry. Oh my god, which one did he watch? Two over one? He watched the director's cut, which is like the super long one. Oh and, poor uh, him. And started it like the night it was something where like he waited to do it until the very night before we were recording. And so he like started the movie at like nine o'clock and he was he I was think like, we only found out because he was complaining about the length and we're like No, this is a short one. <laughs> Yeah, what are you talking about? And he's like, it was like two and a half hours long. You know, like I went through a whole bottle of wine. I'm like, wait, did you watch the director's cut? It was, it was pretty good. Oh my yeah. god, yeah, That's that was great. a good one. Uh, Lawnmower Man Two Beyond Cyberspace, sitting in the theater for that, and then what was the Keanu Reeves, Morgan Freeman, J- Johnny Mnemonic? Uh, no, 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 no. It's like a, uh, it's not necessarily the ice technical- cream truck thing. No, that's with uh, Cuba Gooding. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, the guys follow up to the fugitive uh, that filmmaker. U.S. Marshals. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> God, it was called like Deep Freeze. You guys remember this? It's so crazy. Mm. It was like based on Don't it was like a that. cold fusion MacGuffin. See, I mean, that's what I was thinking. It was, but that is. that is the Cuba movie. Where isn't it like a bomb and they've got it in the freezer of an ice cream truck or a nuclear reactor or something? They've got to keep it some degree <laughs> of cold. Oh my God! So many cold movies. Uh, We're really anyway, opening Keanu, up a portal that here. Keanu Reeves movie and Lawnmower Man two. Those were the first times sitting in a theater and leaving a movie where the magic of going to the movies and having fun to go out with your friends wasn't going to save this experience. <laughs> it was like, oh, <laughs> movies can suck. And just being away from your parents for that night isn't going to make this movie better. <laughs> I'm uh, low-key jealous that you actually saw Lawnmower Man 2 in a theater. I, I know it's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination, but when I, I'd avoided it for so long until we, I had to watch it for the show. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And I watch it and I'm like, Jesus Christ, they actually had a budget for this thing. Like they actually shot this like a real movie. Uh, Except for yeah. all the, you know, the, the crappy effects. But like the cinematography is like 
kind of peak big budget early 90s cinematography yes yeah. and i was just like holy shit they got the kid from last action hero in there not enough to save it not not enough to save enough. it at all Austin O'Brien can't save a movie. <laughs> um, the star re- of My Girl 2. <laughs> chain reaction. Chain reaction. Chain reaction. Yeah. 1996's uh, Andrew Davis's chain reaction. What happens um, in My Girl 2? Does he, the kid get killed by scorpions in that one or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so yes. Uh, sometimes they can back. <laughs> Teacher. Uh, menaced by his his former bully oh, students yes. who are yeah. actually ghosts, um, <laughs> and uh, they raise havoc in uh, in his life, obviously, uh, creating problems. Uh, yeah, and much like psychiatry, he just has to keep returning, going back to the original trauma, returning, <laughs> returning. Returning and hey, he might not necessarily solve it, but he's going back with clearer eyes, isn't he, guys? <laughs> they, 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 the, this adaptation deviates quite a bit from the short story, but Ooh, one thing that they do in this that I actually really like is they make the young version of of uh, the lead character that's played by Tim Matheson. They they make him responsible for the deaths of the greaser kids, which I thought was a really cool touch. Cause in the, in the story, like they, these greaser kids stab his brother and he runs away. And then like later on, he finds out that they died in a car wreck, right? They, there is no train that hits him as his brother's lying dead on the tracks or whatever. But what they do here is, is you see the whole event early on in the movie. Uh, and then you see him run away, but what you don't see, it's revealed later that he stole their car key so they couldn't get off the track and the train hits them and kills them all. So then that I actually thought that was a fairly smart thing to motivate the uh, the vengeance, essentially, to give them a reason for why they're coming back other than they're just evil greaser kids. You know, Eric, this rules, because when I saw this, when I saw the thing about him, like I have to go and get the keys and and put it back. Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, I was like, I wonder if this is in the book Mm. because. Uh, uh, your boy, our boy, Tom McLaughlin, uh-huh. director of uh, Friday the 13th, 6, Jason Lives. In his behind-the-scenes stuff, he's like, I don't know what it's about me. I think it's because I grew up loving Frankenstein movies and Dracula movies, but there was always uh, the, the, the Wolfman. You, there was a lore that they had that how to defeat them. Right. And he was like, Jason never had that. And he's like, so it, I thought that would be useful to have. And so the last like 20 minutes of Jason Lives is all about we have to get his body and return it to Crystal Lake. Yeah. And so when Tim Matheson was like, I got to get these keys back to the railroad tracks, <laughs> I was like, hmm, is this a Kingy or a McLaughlin?y There What's you go. On? But yeah, there's the answer. Very cool. Okay, it's not Stephen Kingy, but it, it it is a really interesting story to read because it, it's like a really short one. It's it's one that I think Cavalier ran it, but he wrote it before he was famous. So this is in that pre Stephen King as you know preeminent author Stephen King mode, and it is so schlocky, and it it, it <laughs> doesn't really feel a whole lot. It, it, I'm gonna strike that and take it back. It feels a lot like Stephen King, but not tonally how Stephen King usually writes. 
Um, oh, there's cool. a lot of the Stephen yeah. King isms that we've talked about the the bad guy greasers, which is a theme that runs through so many of his st- movies. It and uh, Stand by Me, like you know, if there's a greaser in a Stephen King story, they're they're bad news. Um, <laughs> And uh, there's that, that you got that kind of stand by me ish, like writer flashback thing, the Jack Torrance parallel, like mm-hmm. so much of like little Easter eggs of Stephen Kingisms are throughout the story, but it feels so schlocky, even in the, the printed one. And it's, it's much darker in the printed, uh, the original story, the written story was, it ends with him making a deal with, with a satanic devil version of his, <laughs> yeah. of his like dead little brother or dead brother. Right. And he cuts yeah. off his, like his own, his own finger, yeah. his wife dies in, in the story. And, <laughs> and like, and so he cuts off his finger, makes a deal with the devil to take these evil kids, you know, souls back to hell. Uh, and then he like, is essentially lives out the rest of his life cursed. Right. It is, it is wow. a really dark fucking story, but it's very EC, which is something I wanted to bring up here. So, so it is very much a Tales from the Crypt kind of story. As he wrote it, you can mm. tell it's like a revenge fantasy kind of thing. Supernatural mm-hmm. revenge fantasy. And then the way the movie comes out, you know, as I mentioned, it has a lot of those kind of creep show color palettes moments, and it's not afraid to do that. So I wonder if that was a connection that the filmmakers made as well, that it is more of a schlocky Tales from the Crypt style story. Yeah, I thought, you know, uh, oh, no. Well, well, Scott, did you have a, how did you... Uh... I don't mean to jump in. No, I, I didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. well, I, I, like, I was sitting here thinking, I wonder if Stephen King is just terrified of Greece. <laughs> he, he's a Dapper Dan man. <laughs> his, uh, his, his, his big, most feared, like double feature you would have to go see is Greece and Greece too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my God. And they're dancing. They could stop Not me all to death. Stephen King, not all greasers, you know. <laughs> Some of them are good greasers. boys. Yes, <laughs> an important uh, sometimes an important distinction that needs to be made. Right. Sometimes Kinnicky no just one. wants a cool ride. That that's all he yeah. doesn't want to murder, stab somebody's <laughs> brother for twelve cents. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I the 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 tones that are going on in this movie are interesting because it is part like like you said like East Sea schlock Mm. it does have like a mom who opens a door and a a greaser ghoul comes through the door to get her (laughs) uh uh and then i think you know um i i really do uh respect and love what tom mclaughlin and his work and Mm. the way he casts his wife in the movies in the most either funniest or most flattering roles. I mean, he seems like a true sweetheart, this man, Tom McLaughlin. <laughs> but, you know, when I tell people, like, Jason Lives is, like, my fifth favorite Friday 13th movie, it's fucking, like, sacrilege for people. Mm. Uh, be- because are, are you a part of- four person? I don't remember from the, uh, the, the show. Uh, my rankings, <laughs> part two, four, one, <laughs> three, <laughs> six. <laughs> I, I, I stand up for three and four more than most of the traditional Jason Hive people. Like, I, I think that three is kind of like the platonic ideal of what a Friday the 13th, what everything I want out of a Friday the 13th movies and like three and four. Like that, that's, yeah. th- those are, that's kind of like the ideal. Well, well, I'll recognize the first two are objectively better. Um, but, uh, 
I hear yeah, you. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And, and Jason lives is really a great movie. I can see mm-hmm. why people like it. It's just not the tonally or my taste. And I guess this is what I was getting back to with this one. It, he does seem to kind of come from like that um, post Spielberg Amblin, whether they were in Amblin or not, this kind of like um, Mick Garris, it gets a little like squishy and mushy, new agey, spiritual at points. Um, right. So like that end point where he's like hugging his little brother before he can go back into his like astral hole or whatever it is. Like <laughs> yeah. it gave me, it gave me like weird uh, flashbacks to the Shining miniseries where like mm-hmm. the little like tony comes adult danny talks to oh god jesus like yeah uh uh so there's i would give this movie you know like a b plus a minus or whatever but like that sort of stuff is like when it gets brought to the table this is a long way of saying i i I wish this maybe movie would sometimes go a little bit more on schlock um but Hmm. that yeah it, cer- uh, it certainly comes alive and, and as much as I made fun of the the look. I think the demon makeup on the main guy, the main greaser dude, is laughably bad. But they do make the choice of making one of the corpses so fucked up it needs to be a puppet, which I really <laughs> loved. Like that, that's, that's like uh, shades of uh, uh, American Werewolf in London, right? Where right. Yes, at a certain yeah. point, this thing, you, you can't just be a guy and make it. It has to be somebody whose face is... It was demolished so much by the train that, you know, that his jaws hanging off and it's got to be a puppet. Yeah. One of them looks like the fucking mirror thing from uh, Poltergeist. Yes. Yes. Right. After he rips the, his flesh off. Yeah. 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 Or like, you know, <clears throat> someone getting their face melted at the end of Raiders. Yeah. 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 It's good shit. My, my friends and I, we went to see the country bears in theaters in the theater <laughs> when it came out because we were like. Guys, very curious to find out where this is going, (laughs) but yes, continue. (laughs) We're like the writings on the wall. There's not going to be movies much anymore where people are in suits. That's true. (laughs) Was it worth it? We see the Dobby writing on the wall or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) We know where their shit's going. So we all went and saw Country Bears. We were like thrilled that, yeah, we're like seeing film cameras shoot. Grown people in suits walking around is great. I can mean, that I know shit, Star Wars isn't stuff, but can that shit really be more expensive than just tons and tons of CGI? Right, like on. it's I it seems you, yeah. I, that seems backwards to me. Like, and it also seems like with the the sort of technology we, we have now, like if you let's say you you strip the the CGI budget out of a creature feature and instead invested that into you know, physical creature effects. Would it not, would it not be an improvement like immediately? I guess though, to some people, the answer would be no, because they've been conditioned to, mm-hmm. you know, you know, they, this isn't the eighties anymore, you know? And I think yeah. that maybe the idea is that some people will just react to it poorly. Just like there, there's I know two- when I'm looking at a puppet, I right. get, I get fooled by CGI like a man. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I can tell you from from experience, because I I wrote that that script that almost got made back 10 years ago now called The Home. And it was a creature feature. And 
dealing with the producers who were very supportive. They loved the story. And, and, you know, we, we hired K and B to do the effects and, and all that stuff. Uh, there was a real pushback on us wanting to do, uh, practical stuff for two reasons. One, because the most expensive day, the most expensive thing on a budget is a day of shooting. And, it's not it's not the CG budget or whatever it is. It's the actual production day of shooting because you have to pay everybody gotcha, to be gotcha. there. And mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. puppet stuff takes longer to shoot. So that added to our days. And then the other side, they like were mm-hmm. legit thought like uh, the director and, and me, we thought they thought we were Luddites for uh, kind of trying to issue digital stuff and we're just like no we're, we know we're making this on a budget and cg can be amazing if you have the budget for it if not then you know cheap practical is ah. always going to look better than cheap digital always yeah 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 That's and uh, so those were the two things that we had to fight on that um luckily we had uh you know nicotero and k&b and everybody was uh you know giving us great stuff we had what a uh, workshop had worked on our our concept oh, art right and on. creature designs and stuff and and then of course the budget fell through like right before we started shooting so the movie never came to be but um that's uh, cool though to but have those are what we fought experience with that. Yeah. yeah yeah that's awesome yeah it does seem like the uh, solution should just be <laughs> it's so easy to say but just like i like it when it's like practical with cgi enhancements or whatever because then yeah, i think the, like, oh, everybody's happy way. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had uh, like, I would love to see it. Do you have some of the art still? Do you get to? Oh yeah, least, uh, look oh, at yeah. that. Oh no, yeah, and... I have the art. We, I mean, we had cast up. We had, uh, I mean, a lot, lot of the cat because it took place in a nursing home. It was essentially like, what if uh, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing took over a building instead of a person? Oh, cool. And so that that was the conceit, and it was at this nursing home that was feeding on on people. So we had all these amazing people in the cast, um, some of which have, have passed now, but we had like Cloris Leachman and. Uh, Ed Asner and Hal Holbrook and uh, Louise Fletcher uh, oh, right was on. in it. And she was a crazy old doll lady. It's like we had this incredible cast of, of older actors oh. and Louis Gossett Jr. Like we had oh, these oh, like shit. this, you know, it's kind of a great, you know, setup. And we thought we were so smart doing it this way, too, because we were like, like, oh, we're going to get access to all these great older actors who just aren't as in, you know, demand and deserve to have a moment to shine and would really respond to being the heroes of the story and uh, yeah. and that did work but then then uh, the budget just happened to fall out like weeks before shooting began like we were building sets it was it was really sad it was really yeah bummer. that's a good uh, yeah who wouldn't want to see like the cast of red get eaten up by monsters right it's like a <laughs> cocoon with teeth is is uh, how, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it, it, it's how uh, uh, richard taylor at weta you know kept describing the well the wilford brimley has both uh, legs in in uh uh, uh willow not willow jesus uh, Ron, the Ron thing howard a uh, cocoon in the thing yeah. there you go <laughs> willow come on willow <laughs> He's we just read the wikipedia entry for willow two nights ago for the 500th time as if anything is updated ever <laughs> there, there's new images today and they at celebration they reveal like a trailer and everything i haven't watched it yet but is that so it is so i know well, what you're gonna do as soon as we wrap up this conversation yep. hate the go movie check out but of course i'll watch the trailer <laughs> uh, so what do y'all what do y'all think of timothy hutton in this thing well, Excuse Timothy, Timothy, yeah. Tim Matheson, Tim Matheson, yes. running. I always get those two. Confused. Well, it's funny I that understand. you mentioned that because I literally took a note here. It's right below the what I wrote out for uh, Paul's intro is literally the words T 
Tim Matheson is not Timothy Hutton. <laughs> just to remind myself, because I all day I was just like, oh, this movie's got all these crazy King connection, like, you know, <gasps> from the dark half. And like, wait a minute, that's not the right guy. But it's like, you know, a Brooke uh, Adams from Dead Zone is the wife in this. And I'm like, oh, there's all these kind of backwards King connections. And yeah. Then I'm like, oh, actually, there isn't a whole lot. There's just it does have a dark half look to it, though. So it is funny mm. that Timothy Hutton. Yes, is the yes. right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. And also, they they seem very similar to me. I would T- say Tim uh, Matheson but, and yeah. Timothy Hutton both have like they take their jobs very seriously, like vibes, right? And mm-hmm. and that's something that Matheson is like stood out to me here rewatching this is that he's in this really schlocky, fun story, and he is playing it serious as a heart attack. He's playing it like like this is Shakespeare on on stage, and he's going for that you know, that uh, Tony, you know, or whatever. It's like, yeah. he's, he's really going for it. So. Yeah, I love Tim Matheson in this movie. It's, it's a different shade of Matheson for me because, you know, I know mainly from uh, from Animal House or 1941 or... A harsher shade of Matheson. Yes, that should have been the title. It's kind of weird because it's so much better than sometimes <laughs> they come back. Uh, uh, Harder I did to have sequelize to check, though, that if, title. What's that? Harder to sequelize that title, though. Yes, it is. Here they could just add again and for more. And there you go. (laughs) Fifty Shades of Matheson. (laughs) Sexy. Uh, I did have to look up to see if Tim Matheson was related to Richard Matheson to Mm. see if we were going to get some sort of horror writer connection here. Mm. The internet told me no relation. What a great story, (laughs) guys. Well, we're all related if you believe the Bible. So That's true. Adam and Eve are all our mommies mm-hmm. and daddies. We all come uh, from ribs. <laughs> but Tim, uh, yeah, I like him in this movie. And uh, uh, I like him. There's just, a, I, I, I feel like a, the whole movie in general is well cast. The, I, I did like the little New Hearts William Sanderson appearance mm-hmm. pick up there. And uh yeah, he's he, great. He he feels like he should be like in a lot more Stephen King stuff. He feels like a Stephen King character. Right? Yeah, he does. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I can and see w- him talking with a main accent, walking into a diner, talking about the creature he just saw last night. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, for those who might not know the name, but you'll know the face. He was the dude in uh, Blade Runner. He's the guy that own, has all the toys, the, the robotic toys and shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's cool. I, I knew him as the guy from Newhart for the longest time. Mm. I didn't see Blade Runner, I don't think, until I was in my like late teens for whatever reason. And yes, when I saw Blade Runner, I did think that is Newhart. That was my <laughs> I it, it, that came first for me. Newhart yeah. first, Blade Runner second. Uh, Where Daryl and Daryl, <laughs> Daryl Hannah and Daryl Hannah. Oh shit! <laughs> oh, Crack this thing wide do? open. This is my sister, Daryl Hannah. This is my other sister, <laughs> Daryl Hannah. <laughs> and Daryl Oates. Um. <laughs> and my collection of clown little people robots for everyone <laughs> <Yes>. to enjoy. <laughs> oh, my God. I love anytime they retransfer Blade Runner and make it more crisp because then I get to see more uh, what toys were real humans. <laughs> no. You guys don't like seeing the clarity of which little people were dressed up as robotic toys? (laughs) And just told to stay still in the background? Maybe that's just me. (laughs) I think there is a line where you can have too much detail. One would be too much much, uh, visual integrity. 
Um, this may be one of them. Porn <laughs> being another. Uh, you know, there there are certain powers that we are not meant to wield. I just I just believe that. <laughs> total. This is total nerd talk. But I do now enjoy 4K scans more than Blu-rays. If that mm-hmm. makes the or, uh, because I do feel like it's getting closer to celluloid rather than so even if there's even if there's clarity it's cinema clarity it's not computer clarity or something. i am a hundred percent on board with you i'm i'm all in on 4k like it's uh watching the the shining 4k disc is Ooh, loved it. better than i've seen the shining on you know on 35 i've seen the shining on like remastered dcp this is the best i've ever seen well the when they the fucking make yeah. this is the angriest i'm gonna get on this podcast uh when they fucking make the ball pink that like rolls to Danny. Uh-huh. You, you have like one job. Just like make the ball yellow, you assholes. <laughs> so many of Warner Brothers like movies are really colored weirdly. It's a, yeah. it's a weird thing. I don't know if in like 10 years. It, 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 I'm kidding here. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But it's like the long con of being like we can resell these movies later when you realize how shitty they've been looking. Uh <laughs> It's funny. I was just talking about something like this this morning because of the the Indiana Jones presentation that was going on at uh, Celebration. You know, you like guys are blowing um, my mind. I didn't know this shit was happening. Okay, go yeah. Ahead, oh yeah, oh yeah. Wow. There, there's an image of of old man Indy from Indy Five. It's or a silhouette anyway. That's oh all they God. released. But um, okay, okay. John Williams wow. performed the theme. I heard at, at Celebration. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Wow. But the uh, it's going down is, today as we're recording. 4K is what got me to purchase Crystal Skull again because I got it in that set that yeah. came out. And um, oh. and like Crystal Skull is one of the greatest disappointments of my adult life. You know, like I left yeah. that like the way some people reacted to Phantom Menace. That's how I reacted to Crystal Skull. And I have tried over and over and over again to make myself like that movie. And it's just not fucking happening. But yeah, when that 4K set came out, um, they fixed the color grading on the movie it now looks oh. more like an indiana jones movie and it, and it makes a difference it they did the same on. thing with uh, lord of the rings and they released the the hobbits and they graded them to look more like the original lord of the rings films and it makes a huge difference it really so it does. loses it's some of that um kind of uh digital out. gloss yes. yeah that sort oh, of nice th- that was one of my biggest complaints about that one was how it looked yeah. and well, so i didn't have that complaint to deal with anymore and right. it did make the movie better honestly but still wouldn't recommend it i still think yeah. it's you know it's not as much of a shock to the system that way you, <laughs> yes you, you're, you're the frog in the pot and the the <laughs> it's not, as as the story and uh evolves you get the the temperature turned up just a little bit more not as much of a grave insult to me as a lifelong indiana jones fan just, right yeah i gotta say um i you know I have buddies. They were Star Wars kids growing up. I love, obviously, Star Wars. Respect mm-hmm. it. Brought me lots of enjoyment. But I grew up as an indie kid. That mm-hmm. is yes. my shit. And so when um, Crystal Skull came out, when I heard Spielberg wasn't doing part five, these were harsh things for me to to take as a, as a big, huge Indiana Jones fan. And my family, you know, they weren't big... Um, sci-fi and spies were kind of movies were off the table because it was a little too like 
let's get down back down to earth people let's right. see some fucking bad seed where a little girl wants to kill the family or <laughs> westerns indiana jones movies these were like what my family grew up because there was some tether to reality so yeah right the, having the scales fall from my eyes with indiana jones over the last 50 it's, it's a quiet burden that i that i carry <laughs> well i'm rooting for the new one i mean yeah. we are way off topic here uh, right. No, I think. How does um, Indiana Jones tie into sometimes <laughs> they come back? There must be a way. There are greasers he... in Crystal Skull. That would be one uh, Mutt Williams. Yeah. That's good. Nailed. Mutt Williams Ooh, wow. is Mutt a Williams greaser. came back from the dead in Indy 5. What if he's. Uh, can you imagine? He shows up as a zombie. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I Mutt mean... died, and <laughs> but, but a weird portal opens up. <laughs> A little white circle opens up and a zombie <laughs> Mutt Williams steps out. <laughs> Beautiful. Indy immediately fires a revolver into it. Yes. That's right, folks. Yeah. That is the unmistakable sound of Rob Zombie delivering a sound cue from Dragula. That would be off the Hillbilly Deluxe album. Uh, you're, you're familiar with that, aren't you, Eric? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I know all about the Hillbilly Deluxes. Oh, yeah. You need a few of them. I, I'm, you an, want I'm as an many expert. Hillbilly Deluxes. We're, we're, doing the, we're doing a fucking ad read for Hillbilly Deluxe now, but that's not what we're here to do. This is the ad break of the show, and we're here once again to tell you about our friends over at Naughty Bits and the delightful line of uh, adult novelty slash beautifully designed sex toys that they have, all of which are are beautifully made. Eric, I wanted to point out that I have done the last few mm. ad reads. That, that's this. very true. You were very excited about this. I must must let everybody know that that uh, I've never heard Scott as giddy as, as when the World well. Rocket uh, ads <laughs> were booked. He was just like, yes, this is he, this is my time to shine, baby. And yes. I've been letting you do it. Well, we love our friend Leroy over there. He's been on the he, he was on the show once before. Friend mm-hmm. of mine. Love the product, but uh, also, uh, who doesn't want to make an ad percentage uh, from from reading off some of the names uh, <laughs> in- included in the in the Naughty Bits collection? Mm. Um, but I feel like I feel like maybe you have some hesitancy on doing the ad read for Naughty Bits. Uh, it, uh, certainly, the words "cumball machine" aren't the first thing that I expect to come out of my mouth when i'm uh, trying no. to make a little hustle and flow with the the ad dollars here on the on the okay. uh, the podcast but you know what i'm game you know me i'm game okay so here's what we're gonna do i'm gonna do the ad read and uh i'm i'm gonna i'm going to uh, uh prompt you to say certain certain ones of these toys okay get you familiarized with it all right all right Okay. <clears throat> I'd like you to be known. I haven't had any hands-on experiences with these. Uh, Scott has been hoarding all the uh, product samples, by the way. Well, you never know when you're going to need them. <laughs> <clears throat> Your sex toys may do the job, but are they fun? Naughty Bits are high-quality, beautifully designed sex toys. But most of all, they will make you smile downstairs and up. With a wide selection of bedside products to get you off. And that's your cue, Eric. You're coming up here. Like the skull-shaped bonehead vibrator or the... Yum bum ice cream cone butt plug. Nailed it. Or the bad bitch, the motherfucker, the screwnicorn, the cumball machine, or the suck buddy. See, you're killing it. No problems there. 
Naughty Bits puts the F.U. back in fun. Ask for them at your favorite stores and check out the whole collection at MyNaughtyBits.com. Once again, that is MyNaughtyBits.com. Anything that we just mentioned in this ad read uh, should surely catch your eye and, and you should go check it out. If you're looking to spice things up, here's a way to do it and uh, have fun with it at the same time. Hell yeah, I'm going to have to figure out a way to layer in, sew in the term suck buddy into the next recording. That's going to be my challenge. Mm-hmm. You never know when that will come up. And maybe we need to do another Nightflyer episode. You don't know. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. The next yeah. vampire story, Suck Buddy, will appear in there in some way, mm-hmm. shape, or form. Guaranteed. All right. I think it's about time to get back to the show. What do you think? Let's get back to it. Bringing it back to sometimes they come back. Um, yes. This, Bring it back. This Sometimes is... we come back, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, the, you know, the greasers thing is definitely a note that King is also hitting. The writer thing or, or the teacher thing, whatever. But just the, the high school setting is also very important to him. We have we have clocked many of Stephen King's obsessions over the course of doing the show. And I'm, I'm thinking that just... High school, high school shenanigans are are definitely a part of that list. The idea of bullies is so profoundly important to him, and was mm-hmm. apparently such a, I don't know, weighed so heavily on him that he ke- he kept returning to that. Well, I feel like it's I feel like it's been a while since he's done that, though, right? Yeah, you're right. When was the last the high school? Yeah, yeah, with like high school bullies or. Well, he you know, stopped uh, having the printing of that book that was like could be rage. seen as a yeah. Yeah, rage, yes. school shooting. So, like, I don't know if maybe along with that, there was just a change in his a shift in his consciousness about telling those stories. Could I be. Mean, I think the power of something like Carrie for me is like the best bully like that version because you so by the end are rooting for Carrie. Right. <laughs> uh but I think maybe what the power of that movie is and just the power of Stephen King um, going telling the story of bullies and the bullied seems to me to be like, even if you're not like a Carrie or like Arnie from Christine where you got like taped glasses and stuff like uh, this is a little too squishy and corny on my end saying this, but like uh, and everybody's single in their own lives see themselves as bullied. So it is such a fucking easy thing to like hand in glove. I'm sure jocks watch Carrie and go like, yeah, I'm Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) I know what it's like to be Carrie. Uh, When I I punched that nerd in his glasses, cut my knuckles. That was the same (laughs) thing as dumping a a thing of pig blood on me. (laughs) I will say I hate with sometimes they come back with this movie the a far worser trope than the prostitute with the heart of gold is the jock with a heart of gold. Can we get that mm, out of here? Yeah. Out of all stories forever, <laughs> it's not true. There's no such thing as a good jock. Is is that what you're telling? They're us, just Paul? dicks. They're all dicks. It would be it, it would be as if I'm watching a movie where they're like, there's some stock exchange guys who are good. Like, what? <laughs> I doubt it, but even if there are, why are you carrying water for them? (laughs) And the guy that plays the jock in this is uh, really obnoxious up front to uh, our good friend, Timothy Hutton. 
specifically Timothy Hutton. Um, <laughs> that first scene with him in the in the classroom where he's just like giving him the business, you just want to fucking throw that kid through a window. Oh my god! Oh, it Lord. also. I mean, that must have been Stephen King's experience being a teacher. I did think like that has to be. And I feel like this story and this adaptation kind of gets at this. This is what the thing seems to be about, which is like, if you grew up bullied and then had to go back to your high school and teach, you would get triggered by bullies even if you were an adult. It's just like the way things work. It's a really scary notion. I mean, like, I'll walk down the street and it's not even uh, tough. It's like skater kids. And I'll like go to the other side of the street just because I don't want them to think I'm a dork, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's nothing more devastating than getting owned by a teenager. Oh, <laughs> I was, I was the, like, this, this must have been sometime last year or something uh-huh. uh, when everyone was still very much locked up. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's a bunch of, uh, in the neighborhood I live, there's, you know, a lot of teenagers that go to a local high school. And so, that was like peak time for people in the neighborhood to be out walking around and shit. And mm-hmm. uh, sometimes I, as a gentleman and a man of leisure, like to <laughs> like to enter my garage and uh, smoke some weed out there. And uh, I had the door open one day and was out there like fucking around on my phone, like smoking a joint, you know, not being obnoxious about it, you know, like halfway into the garage. Of course. But this yeah. this uh, group of of wild teens came through the area and uh the who the one who was quite clearly the ringleader uh <laughs> l- looked at me and just goes oh damn and all of them laughed and for some reason that made me feel so humiliated <laughs> i was just like what the Aww. fuck man y'all are supposed to be cool with this shit like oh my god i'm the fuck out of old here. i have a joint <laughs> yeah. i have here. a jazz cigarette i'm not here trying to impress you i just can't smoke in the house for christ's sakes i'm a grown man <laughs> yes, yeah oh my god i had the reverse experience like 10 years ago 12 years ago i had an apartment that was next to a high school and the parking garage the judge like- let you do that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I stepped the my where your the garage was was kind of like right up against where the high school ended, mm. and I remember one morning before school started, I stepped out to my car, and there were four teenagers uh, uh, passing around a joint by my car, and dear God, the level of vibe that I put out of this is totally cool with me. <laughs> so sad i probably look like the biggest like the aunt who wants to let you know she's cool that you're smoking pot on thanksgiving that, that was energy. <laughs> right. i was giving off he had that energy yeah i got <laughs> i got mean girled on twitter fairly recently Aww. and it, it is listen i've laughed in the face of Star Wars, angry Star Wars, toxic dickheads. I've laughed in the face of Snyder bros. None of that shit phases me. I've been on the internet for 20 years. I, I wrote for ain't it cool news and, and listen to those talkbacks right. for 20 fucking years. You know, it's like none of that phased me, but I got thrown for a little bit of a fucking loop when I got pulled into some mean girl Twitter. I'm not going to lie. It, it what really, did they say, where did they say to you? It was, um, they were 
somebody they were making fun of of uh mike flanagan and essentially they were like how does kate siegel marry that it was that kind of thing oh and I was that's just mean like, spirited and i'm just like you like you fucking assholes it's like and so i was just like uh, you know I, I think i just i didn't even direct it at them i was just like i think kate had like tweeted something about it and so i responded to to her you're just going like i think you know and he, if he wanted to marry me, I'd let him. He's a handsome man. You know, the, that kind of thing. And I, for whatever reason, like they just fucking ad- attacked me. Like all these fucking teenage mean girl <laughs> oh, people. Oh like, who gosh. the fuck do you think you are? You, 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 you old piece of shit or kind of thing. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here, you know, wait. And they're just like, the funny thing was, is, is I, <laughs> there was no logic to it. There was no logic to an argument because they were like, you're a nobody. And, and so I looked at that and I responded to that with a, a screen cap of their like 127 follows this people <laughs> follows this person. And then like, then they got the like, Oh my God, why are you bullying that person? You're a blue check mark. You shouldn't do that. Yeah. Like, wh- like who, who are you to do that? And I'm like, what the fuck? She just said I was a nobody. And I'm like, well, you know, I was just saying it's ironic that the person with a hundred followers, they're like, yeah, but you're a blue check. You're verified. You shouldn't, you, oh it, it, they turned it into like a power dynamic thing. And I'm just like, the fuck, I don't know how to fight this. Like I don't know. Like well, all I had to do was peace out. I love well, it. first of all, you I never engage. Love the discourse. You never <laughs> engage. There's just. I mean, I've been guilty of it myself. But like, <laughs> as a standing, as a standing operational procedure, like right. you can't get because there is no there is no winning any fight on Twitter. There isn't. And the bigger the fight, the more like you know, just embarrassing it is for everybody involved. <laughs> right. I love seeing people just scream at one another on Twitter over the dumbest shit, you know, when I'm not involved with it. <laughs> right. but, you know, but like, I don't want any of that shit on me because it's no, no, thank yeah, you, sir. I mean, it's so funny. Twitter right now is definitely at the like, um, point like at 4 a.m. of the house party. Like, <laughs> <laughs> 12 years ago, it was like 9, 10 p.m. at the house yeah, party. Yeah. Everybody's having fun. We're making jokes. If somebody makes a mistake, it's like, whatever. We're out at a party. We're having fun. Right. And now the only people who are still there, myself included, are the people who are uh, not literally wasted, but wasted on Twitter <laughs> and just should just go home. And it's yes. 4 a.m. being like, no, Kurt Cobain was anti-racist. I mean, that was me. That was me two days ago on Twitter. Like, so yes, uh, I, I, I should just hand over the keys and go home at some point. It's a very good analogy. We all have brain worms from that God forsaken hellhole, but, but also well, it's going to a much better place now. I assume it's only going to get better. <laughs> Well, that is the thing, you know, everything in general these days is is going along great. And uh, (laughs) I'm just overwhelmed with hope for the future. (laughs) Me too. Sometimes I can can hardly take it. (laughs) All right. Young Billy poses this question, does Mm -hmm. he not, to his teacher. Mm. Uh, uh, Must we keep revisiting the same pain throughout History, man, I was listening to Dust in the Wind last night, and I don't want to be a piece of dust in someone's eye. Mm. How great was that scene? (laughs) (laughs) You know he was a good kid, and that was about to get taken out and replaced by an evil greaser. Yeah. Um, I know, as soon as he started talking about uh, (laughs) how he felt about what he was learning in class, I was like, this kid's dead. That's the (laughs) the equivalent of the cop who's like, bought a boat. 
retirement coming up. You're going to take the missus down there. The, the the kids are at college. No, you're not, motherfucker. You're uh, done for. It's curtains so for you. My question is, if they remade this today and they modernize it much in the same way that they did the It movie, right? Where it's not the 50s kids and then the 80s adults. It was the 80s kids and then the modern day adults. Who is the 20 years ago equivalent? We're talking early aughts now, late 90s, early aughts. We wouldn't have greasers coming back. What would we have? Hold, hear me out, okay? Mm. <laughs> you got to go goths on this. <laughs> mm, Full yeah. Jinko pants with the zippers, <laughs> you know, the whole corn t-shirts, the fake nose piercings, the whole nine yards. I don't think greasers, you know, Stephen King would obviously disagree with me on this, but I don't think that greasers as a subculture would be any more like dangerous on the whole than goths. You know what I'm saying? Well, goths weren't the ones picking on people, but I don't think greasers were rebels. That's the thing you have to keep in mind. Like they were rebelling against the the system. So I guess the goths would be kind of the late 90s equivalent of that. Yes, and I don't think uh, all greasers were bad. I think they were just no, (laughs) they were punks, you know? (laughs) Not all greasers, yes. Not all greasers. Uh, uh, Scott, you bringing this up is making me, your comparison is uh, completely correct. I would say yes, goth is the way to go. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, um, you know, even if it was whatever fantasy somebody had of like, the trench like Dylan Klebold and yeah, yeah exactly, exactly exactly that uh, what's making you're making me flash on uh you know you time goes by you have little ideas pop up in your head and you go oh maybe that would be something no 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 that would it but uh I remember when I was in college hearing stories about towns where a group of goth kids would now i think this is delusion fantasy scared of kids up to their shenanigans stuff but it was like they made a suicide pact uh the five of them and now these parents are helpless to this suicide pact and now other kids are gonna kill themselves to join the pact Mm. and um i remember hearing that and going oh i wonder if there's a uh, I don't write horror or anything, but I was just like, I wonder if there's a scary story in somebody who makes a suicide pact with their goth friends. Everybody does it. That person chickens out and doesn't do it. And then, yeah, 10, 20 years later, they come to pay the piper and they're like, hey, you never held up your end of the deal. Oh, shit. And I so thought- in this version, Tim, Timothy Hutton, obviously we're getting him back, is a <laughs> former goth. Yeah, well, but when I, you know, that idea, the the idea came and went, but I remember when it went, it went because I was like, oh, it's kind of like sometimes they come back. It's the same idea. So <laughs> even more so, the goth kids. Yes, yes. They are the, the greasers of their time. Once a, once again, we are just giving out fucking gold on this show. <laughs> yeah, you listening, Stephen <laughs> King? Not seeing a goddamn dime from any of it. Right. <laughs> oh, William Lord. Sanderson's character has got to be the one, because he escaped, right? So this is the one who backed out of the, the, the suicide pact. The one who didn't drink the Kool-Aid or whatever. So he's the sad guy in like the nin shirt. <laughs> he comes to his door and he's got like eye makeup and he's just sort of like, yeah. <laughs> Put on your best hurt EP. 
Sure, we got we got to see these kids. I'm I'm literally wearing a nin hoodie as we speak. Are you? Yes, yes. Oh yeah, that's my band. Um, I wouldn't expect I, you to know that, but yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, that let is, it be known. I've not owned seen Scott vid- owned on his own podcast. No, I don't. I, I don't I, think he's saying anything derogatory about me. No, I love. I of course. I mean, that's my I love it. Of course, but uh, that is I, like I, that's one of the few bands from that period that I think that's bands of that type from that period that it is still respectable to be into at this point because of like, you know, because of what yes. Trent Reznor's done with the rest of his fucking career, right. you know, I think it lends some validity to the whole thing versus like if I were sitting here in an orgy shirt, you know what I'm saying? Uh, or like stabbing no, Westward I mean, or fucking <laughs> the uh, band autofill and I of, Nine Inch Nails and Nirvana is like pretty solid. I oh, like. Yeah. I think those are the two, probably the two bands from the '90s that still you just are unassailable. You're just mm. like, oh, total respect, right? Like, right? Because even something with the grandeur and popularity of like Smashing Pumpkins, which I love, I understand how they can be a punching bag. But yeah, Nine Inch well, Nails is Billy Corgan a punch makes it pretty easy. Let's be honest. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Love that guy. He is a fucking character. That one. You got to get him on the pod to talk about the time he saw a fucking shapeshifter. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm familiar with that story. And God damn it, we should reach out to Billy Corgan. What How was great the? That... You guys just covered it. The HBO shapeshifter. Oh, the, oh, the outsider. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He should have been on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we get, there's plenty of shapeshifter stories, though, that we could prod Billy Corgan into telling that story. Oh, perhaps. yeah. Oh, beautiful. We're probably giving it. <laughs> I, I can already pro- see the email reaching out to his publicist going, <laughs> RE to Billy's interest in shapeshifters. <laughs> <laughs> and the response back is going to be like, we heard the Rust episode. He's not falling for this shit. <laughs> we know this is a trap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Billy Corgan's publicist has like a direct to trash if the subject title says shapeshifter question mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not discussing this anymore. His <laughs> book will be the final say on it. Funny as outcome is he really wants to do it and the publicist says no. <laughs> <laughs> so we've we've successfully rebooted. Uh sometimes they come back again. Or more again. Oh yeah, Eric, who's your would you say Greaser oh, yeah. or is it somebody? Oh no, I mean, yeah, the goths make total sense to me. It's uh like, like the, the ones who are the actual bullies were always what we'd call the white hats with the, but they were the the sporty guys. Like mm-hmm. in, in my school it was the shit kickers and the sport the sporty guys and they were always fighting each other cuz I went to kind of country school. So you had like the ag department and the uh the 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 lacrosse players and shit. Oh, like the hookah shell types. Yeah. Uh, I see. But there is a love for hacky sack. Hacky sack would have to be involved in this somehow. Maybe that's the totem that he steals. Uh, <laughs> Instead my... of the car keys, he steals their hacky sack and they have to come, <laughs> come, come back <laughs> to get it to be fully at peace. I thought you were going to say all uh, clicks can bond over hacky sack. Uh, my, my <laughs> wife. Uh, that is true. My wife, Leslie Arfin, she's a, a writer and she has a book. Um, she's a great writer and she has a book, uh, Dear Diary. And I read it when we were first started dating. And I remember my heart soared because she was like, no matter what cliques and subgroups in high school, everyone can bond over pot. It's so true. It's just like <laughs> such a funny, 
the white hats would gladly sit down with the goths if they knew they were holding and oh, break sure. bread, break joints. Yeah, what do you yeah. think the Aggies were learning to grow? Yeah, it's like yeah. it's true. The, yeah, the Aggies, everybody, yeah. everybody. Yeah, they were learning time. how to birth cattle and grow weed. That's kind of what what they're doing. Yeah. So I think they should be in Scott's uh, garage, and any kids who pass by, I think they're the dorks. <laughs> They gotta get on board. Yeah, well, good. Well, yeah, no, I think we we've come to the end of uh, of some times they come back. Uh, we haven't touched on any of the sequels. I would assume because none of us have watched them. Is this a correct assumption? Yeah, I'm not. Correct. Yeah. I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. I, I, mean, I know I, I watched them like coming out of ice or something, right? Like I, the I, video I, cover was so weird. I was like, is this uh, wait, uh, they're, they're, or are they the thing? Wait, which one, which one would that be? Let me look. <laughs> is it the third one? Sometimes they come back. Oh, again, it, yeah, again. it does look like the third one because there's a hand reaching up from snow. Oh, Sometimes that is they a come terrible back for cover. Uh, Michael Gross is in the sequel with Hillary Swank, an early appearance by Hillary Swank, and sometimes they come back again. Are y'all looking at the poster? Look at yeah, the little times they come back for more. Yes, it's got the look at the little look at the little hole and the cracks around it. They <laughs> <laughs> look like drawn on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, you got to make it look realistic, dude. Just overlay these cracks over the image you've already. <laughs> oh my God, Chase Masterson is in it from uh, the dude that got hardcore canceled or whatever from Seventy Show. Oh, oh you... is that or am I thinking? No, Chase Masterson. No, I'm thinking of the wrong. I'm thinking of Danny Masterson. Yeah, yeah. Ch- Chase Masterson is not. Uh... Oh yeah, she was on Deep Space Nine. Okay, let's see I what would, the yeah. oh, oh, let's see what the plot is here. The U.S. military has a secret illegal mining operation in Antarctica. Right off the bat, <laughs> good start. That's being uh, 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 the the staff is made up of fifties greasers. Like, where's this going? <laughs> when one of the personnel stationed at the base goes on a rampage, two military operatives, Captain Sam Cage, and of course, <laughs> and it's a Mortal Kombat name. Yeah, he's got a fucking bionic arm, and Major. <laughs> Callie O'Grady, search the base. <laughs> search the base by rappelling in from helicopter during stormy weather. They discover two survivors: medical officer Captain Jennifer Wells and technical officer Lieutenant Brian Shabansky. Shabansky, <laughs> gotta you gotta have a Shabansky in there. The base radio is mysteriously smashed. This is the thing. Okay, yeah. All right. going into the it is yeah. going into the mining area of the base. Captain Cage sees what appears to be another survivor and starts a chase through the corridors taking an elevator down to the second level. When Major O'Grady collapses because of the gases in the mine, he takes her to an elevator only to discover they're actually on the fourth level. No! That's written written like it should be (laughs) ominous, but I don't know what happens on the fourth level. Back back in the main compound... That's bad storytelling. That's somebody at the campfire being like, they were on the fourth level. Okay, I forgot to mention, the fourth level is where the gas is. (laughs) Back in the main compound, they discover the body they had found in the snow has moved has now moved and is gone. They find dead and dying personnel and a book about conjuring the devil. More bodies disappear when nobody's looking and reappear later as lurching menaces. Great use of phrase there. Soon Jennifer and Sam find themselves the only ones still alive fighting the undead and their diabolical masters. So, um, (laughs) this seems very not, uh, sometimes they come back. (laughs) (laughs) They'd long more man themselves. That's pretty. Right. That's pretty crazy. Well, now I kind of want to see it. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> I think it'd be a nice follow up. But 
Can you can you go from the first one to the third? Do you have to have seen? Sometimes a, they come back for two. It's a very good question. Sometimes they come back again. Yes. Uh, no, this one, com- this one just based on kind of like a dry run, like just glancing over the the Wikipedia is like a rehashed version of the the last one, but with a different family. <laughs> and it didn't work. So when they decided to make a third one, yeah, they were like, "We got to go the thing on this one." Yep, starring Tremors as Michael Gross. Oh wow! He found his uh, slot. You know, I bet he liked those little cracks on the poster of part three. He was like, those look like tremor cracks to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Graboids, uh, they can fart fly now. (laughs) That's literally something that happens in in that series. So, yeah, it's, it's, Oh my God. Really? Not a well storied franchise. I think we can, Uh, we can agree. Can I uh, share just some takeaways I had uh, with this movie? Sure, Uh, please do. Um, um, I liked uh, uh, Tim Matheson in his classroom. He had a quote from uh, um, the Scottish play as it was written on the, even though they're not (laughs) Uh in the theater. Uh, And it it, it was some reference. It was like, the past will always return to the present. Uh, And it made me think like, in movies and TV shows or whatever, if... Uh, uh, a, a book or a piece of literature is referenced in a classroom or a main character goes and watches an opera. The piece of literature and the opera must always have thematic ties to the movie. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> have you ever seen like a classroom in a horror movie where they're like, Science, science, science. It's always like the main character will has to have to face the rebirth of a monster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's always that. It's always what the lecture is about, too. Yeah. yeah. The Nightmare on Elm Street's the perfect example of that where they're they're teaching about, you know, dreams and shit. Yeah. Oh, that's the best one because it's uh I mean I Wes Craven is brilliant, but it is kind of written like a stupid guy. It's like Chaucer said nightmares are the source of all. He was like, what? <laughs> uh, did you go to the library? Uh, the, um, uh, another thing. Uh, where, where did you guys grow up? Dallas. Uh, Bay Area of California. Okay. So uh, this, this thing of the, the, this is not funny. It's more just like it ups. <laughs> When they that spooky train sound going through the uh, town when he's mm-hmm. like walking through town, I thought that scene was like really effective. It, it creeped me out. Yeah, um, just growing up in the Midwest and like you could wind up sometimes late at night just on an empty street. It would be kind of spooky. But I've wondered this before, and I'm curious, Eric Scott, mm. when you hear a, a train late at night like if you're laying in bed does it make you feel good does it make you feel bad Mm. makes me feel annoyed because it woke me up hey all right (laughs) uh i don't hear it and i've never been in a place where i've heard a train go by my house Ah. uh we do have a train track that runs close here uh, because i live kind of very south austin uh and for the longest time my nephews lived in kyle which is like two like mini town south of, of Austin. It's like 30 minute drive. 
Um, and there is a train that like drove drives through Austin that somehow cuts off the main main street in Kyle. So oh, I've been pissed yeah. off at trains before where I've had to <laughs> like take in the kids back after watching movies or some shit and swimming all day, like sitting there for like 30 minutes waiting for this yep. train to pass by. So annoyance yeah. is the only thing that comes to mind with trains. Yeah. For both of you guys, you're like, these fucking trains are either waking me up or late making me late to get places. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, I don't like the sound either. I Most people I meet, they're like, I love the sound of a train at night because it's like comforts me to know that life is still out there. But for me, oh, no. it's like, gives a fuck about life. You're asleep. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a haunting sound for me. It is. I, I, I don't like it. it. It's spooky. And so when I saw it in the movie, I did think, oh, but the most recent person who I heard who was pro train sound uh, I was listening to a David Lynch interview. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Of course. First of all, he said this amazing thing where he was talking about how he loves the weather in LA and he described it as to be touched by the same warm jazz winds as years ago. <laughs> Guys, warm jazz winds? I love him. What a beautiful man. Yes. Uh, uh, but then he also, he was like, there is no more beautiful sound than a train. The man who invented the train sound, he, he created one of the most beautiful pieces of music in the world. I was like, okay, I guess this weirdo likes train sound. <laughs> you know David Lynch has some fucking crazy train sets. Oh my God, yeah. It's just running throughout his house, silver spoon style. Sometimes he's just storming around the joint in a conductor's hat. Uh, I, I've only laid my eyes on a David Lynch once in my life, but it was, uh, like 2006 or seven. I was living in LA and when it gets really, really hot, everybody would crank their air conditioners and there'd be like an Enron brownout or whatever. The, the, the power grid would go down. So it'd be super hot. And I, I like went out just to walk around in those warm jazz winds. And I was <laughs> walking around and um, it was just this sort of own surreal L.A. night because it's all dark. And the only light you can see is if tables outside restaurants uh, lit candles for people to be seated at. Huh. And I'm like walking down a street and I see this like French restaurant ahead of me and it's beautiful looking. It's got like these warm candlelight dinner tables. And uh, I see somebody, I'm like, who's that man with a beautiful woman on each arm seated between two beautiful women? <laughs> <laughs> and out of like an LA blackout is David Lynch sitting at a candlelit table with like two Mulholland Drive uh, level beautiful women. It was fantastic. Classic Lynch. Have you guys ever got to cross paths? Did you ever interview no, him or see I'd him love or? to. I think I'd be intimidated to yeah. talk to him because he doesn't suffer fools gladly and I am very foolish. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I love too. David Lynch like one of my all-time favorites. You know, I'm, I'm a big Lynch fan. But yeah, uh, but I would if, be very intimidated to talk. If to Lynch was n disappointed in you and or rude to you, would that like just deflate you for like a month? Oh, yeah. I would feel <laughs> awful. I would feel awful about that. <laughs> you let daddy down. Yeah. Like just. Yeah, I wouldn't. And, and I don't think he's I. Because I've thought about like making a fucking Hail Mary run and just seeing if we could get him on the show. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, but yeah. but it. But it 
what stops me is imagining like I don't I don't think that I don't know that we could keep him focused on on King for an hour. You know, mm-hmm. I think he would get tired of talking about it after like 20 minutes and then, you know, sort of do whatever he wants, which, you know, frankly, would be great. But um, that and I but I also um, I also I just I think I would be nervous to fucking do that. I was I was really like I wasn't nervous with King, but I was very nervous with with Hater. You know, yeah. And, yeah, because I just I didn't know what to expect. And we didn't have that that prep time on that episode. And it was just like, you know, I mm-hmm. he's a very funny guy. He's certainly yeah. funnier than I am. But, you know, I'm the funny guy on the show. And so it felt like, you know what I mean? It was. Inti- yeah, it was, yeah. Well, it was Bill Hader's like there's only right. like three other people who would compete with him in terms of funniness. Yeah, like, no shit. Yeah. You know, so it, it puts you at a. It, it it would I feel like I would feel put at some level of disadvantage because my normal my normal tricks would not work on David Lynch. You know? Well, right. David Lynch too, I think, would be like just a difficult interview because he's like, um, I mean, part of his mystique is the mystique, like that he right. holds his cards hold uh, close to his chest, so like to his vest, so like you. Even if you manage to get something out of David Lynch, then it would kind of be a disappointment that like you you chipped away the mystique or something. I don't know. Uh, hmm. I, I I really enjoy watching interviews with um, filmmakers sometimes from in uh, foreign countries because either they don't want to be misunderstood through translation, they speak just a little bit more directly about like their process and understanding, Hmm. or there's just this sort of like, um, well, Hey, a film critic from a country that it is in America has to be brighter than the fucking idiots. I have to talk to (laughs) there's just some sort of attitude of like, Oh, I'm automatically talking to Kahir du cinema or, you know? Uh, So it's, it's really amazing. Some of the best, like, cards close to the vest filmmakers like david lynch or the cohen brothers mm. a lot of times their best interviews i do think are with like a, a french critic or something <laughs> all right so we need to put put on a very heavy <laughs> french accent <laughs> david lynch <laughs> that wasn't french at all i good. don't know <laughs> the, uh, uh, the swedish chef will reach out to yes yeah yes heard it heard it bergen bergen Oh, and my, my, blue my, <laughs> the only other couple of t- takeaways I had was yes. uh, Christine in this taught us that if you're a greaser and you bring a knife to school, a teacher will confiscate it. Uh, Indeed. Always. Pull that Correct. shit. And the last takeaway was um, this happened in 1963, the original. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Michael Myers, you know, he first struck on Halloween 63. And uh, the um, big parade of mayhem at the end of Animal House is like November 20th, 1963. Mm -hmm. Mm. I have a little theory here, guys, that (laughs) this year gets chosen because of Kennedy, man. Hmm. The trauma of a greaser fucking up your brother, the trauma of your little brother killing you, the Mm. trauma of... 
the Deltas taking over the parade. It's all similar <laughs> to when our president got shot and what we've been doing with ever since. Oh. A sort of a sort of general hysteria that the national nightmare took years to be yes. quelled. Yes, the I, 11, I can roll with that. 1963 we've all been dealing with. Uh, <laughs> yes. That the country has yet to reckon with. <laughs> That's right. That's right. What did you guys think of the um, that eleven twenty two sixty three uh, adaptation? I couldn't get through it. In fact, I, we we I, had I a guest. We had a. I mean, Franco is so horribly miscast that it just sort of sinks the entire thing. And I, I think I got through two episodes of it and was like, "All right, I get it. That's that's enough for me. I'll stick with the book." Um, but we had a guest lined up to do it at one point, and I think Eric even reread it. I did. I reread. Wow. Re-read the, well, I got like two thirds of the way through it before the guest dropped out and yeah. like went like, oh, we'll reschedule. But like in some time indefinitely, you know, it was one of those things. Uh, and it's a great book. It's a it's a cranker. Like that oh, yeah. book is just like so addicting. It's a page turner. It's like King at his top page turning. And I rewatched some of the the Hulu show, like as I was getting through those parts in the book. And I'm like, oh, I'll rewatch the show as I'm kind of going through and uh you know just be ahead of it on in the book and um I, yeah i had the same thing where franco's just such a so miscast as that kind of every man that can exist in in the 60s as well as today and uh but other than that it's like the production values top notch on that show mm, yeah just yeah, get bogged the first, down in the conspiracy shit yeah. i read the first half of the book uh and i loved it it was the typical thing that happens to me so often which is then a vacation ends and my life kicks back up and it's really then I'm an idiot and it's hard for me to. Now you don't even remember where you were, where you left. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, oh my God, I loved it. It was a, (laughs) it was a page turner and uh, yeah. Watching it's the danger of the um, prolific actor who turns a profit, which is any Movie, TV show, production is happy to gobble up that actor. Get James Franco in your movie or mm-hmm. miniseries because then people will watch it. But if that actor doesn't have the taste or vision for themselves or their representation doesn't to know if this really works, it's such a waste of everybody's time. It's like <laughs> a really? colossal waste of everyone's time. That like one choice you had to make of just like, yeah, just cast um uh uh golly, who was in the new Batman movie? Uh Pattinson? Ma- uh no no no, married to uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. I, it's crazy that I'm using the recent Sarsgaard. Batman. Oh, Paul Peter's- Dano. Up uh, Sarsgaard. Sarsgaard. Oh, Sarsgaard. Peter Sarsgaard. Yeah. yeah. Dano's Sarsgaard would be a great uh, 11 60. Maybe a little older, right? He has to be right. a little more chewed up, but he would yeah. be good. Um I think of who I think of imagine? that character as just being like an all-American boy. Kind of look, looks like he's going to play football. He, you know, he's really tall. Um, yeah. I think you throw a pair of glasses on uh, John Krasinski and he would have done a, a fine job with it. That's cool. And, and I think yeah. he could have fit into at that time in particular, the before he yes. got all beefed up and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And before, you know, it became popular to dunk on John Krasinski, which is obviously like an ongoing thing. I don't have a problem with the guy. Uh, uh, if if you but, um ever acted in a Thursday night must see TV show, you are fully at the whims of 
backlash to backlashes to backlashes for the rest <laughs> yeah. of your life. People yeah. will have such an opinion on who you are and how you live your life. It's really That's true. so funny to the, the 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 specific relationship people have to the people they watched on Thursday nights on NBC. It's just it's very fun. It's charming. It's weird shit, man. Weird shit. Yeah, I, di- I didn't get it with Tim Matheson watching him on CBS primetime but, uh, that <laughs> night, but came I close. Think, I believe you mean Timothy Hutton, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Of course, Timothy Hutton. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, this is usually the partner show where we allow our guests to uh, tease whatever they're working on next, where they can be found, whatever they want to draw attention to at the moment. You know, the floor is yours, sir. Oh, sure. Well, you guys mentioned it up top uh, the with Gorley and Rust podcast that I do with Matt Gorley, where we cover horror movies. I think would probably be up your audience's alley if they want to check Indeed. that out. And uh, oh, yeah, I do a voice on this. Uh, uh, I, I'm just a voice on it. I don't write it. I don't make it. So I have, I'm not saying anything. It is a really terrific animated show called uh, The Great North. It's on Hulu. You can watch all the shows. It, uh, it's about to have its third season on Fox, and it's from the people who do Bob's Burgers. And uh, nice. it's a it's an animated series where um, uh, I love it because it's like about a um, all the complications come out of the characters all trying to do the right thing, and they keep <laughs> <laughs> sometimes there's not one right way to do something, and uh, when people try to be kind, sometimes that's what causes the. It's it's a really right on <laughs> show, and it's super funny with a great cast, not me uh so i don't know if, if people are bored and want to check out a new animated show i i promote that very sure. nice very nice all right well well thank you so much for coming on and uh hope well, you had a good you. time yes and maybe the delight and you guys maybe are the best you guys and are maybe the best. and maybe sometimes yeah. you'll come back again <laughs> oh yeah sometimes. make uh, and always bring, bring gorley back for that one and make that be his punishment for missing the first one yes <laughs> He, he has to do his entire appearances uh, with his H.R. Geiger impersonation. That, that, that yeah. is his punishment. Oh, my God. Well, you know, Gorley, as I said uh, before the show started, he had uh, uh, an unexpected theme popped up and he was bummed out that he couldn't do this. So, yeah, maybe uh, you could have H.R. Geiger come back. And uh, <laughs> w- w- what would you say is the most Geigerish Stephen King? Oh, Jesus. Uh, title? Uh, that would be sometimes they come back for more actually oh well, perfect <laughs> oh god perfect <laughs> yeah the punishment is that we have to watch that thing rip off <laughs> sometimes they come back see no we'll do it we'll do it commentary track style oh my god <laughs> <laughs> it's music to my ears but we certainly appreciate you coming by paul and this has uh, been a blast and i hope you have yeah fun. yeah yes. oh, blast thank y'all Many thanks to Paul Rust for joining us for that very lengthy discussion. It's it's really funny as somebody who listens to his podcast with Matt Gorley, uh, how we, I think there's a moment about an hour and 10 minutes into this episode where we're kind of going, all right, so it's time to wrap up. And Paul Rust is like, no, 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 good sirs. We have to make yeah. sure this yeah. is yeah, longer than the movie. <laughs> and uh, he never explicitly said that, but that's the vibe I get listening back to it. Yes. Lovely guest. Had a, uh, that was my first time talking to Paul. Love love talking to the guy. Would love to have him back. Next time, we, maybe we can get Gorley. Uh, Matt was going to be on the show until the last second, and then something unavoidable came up. And so uh, we went solo rest on this one. But I am more than happy with the results. 
Oh yeah, and and uh, mark my words. Now uh, we get Matt Gorley on the show. I am going to force him to do an HR Geiger impersonation for us. Because uh, for those who don't know, he was on a show called Super Ego, and probably the funniest thing I've ever heard uh, yes. in podcast form is him riffing on uh, uh, as HR Geiger being interviewed uh, about his work with uh, Ridley Scott, and it is the most delirious funny Ridley Scott. Yeah. <laughs> a black licorice hammock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the all-time best HR guy, Geiger impression. I've never heard a better one. So we will absolutely be gunning for that. Should he come? Maybe that, Maybe he sends that. Maybe that's why he's like, oh, I got stuff to do. Yeah. Guys. I'm not doing this for an hour. <laughs> Children Although of the I, corn only as HR Geiger. <laughs> I, I would still do an episode with HR Geiger's ghost. It would be a <laughs> terrible taste, and I'm sure we would get yelled at for it, but some things are just extremely funny and you got to do them. So who knows what will happen in the future? Um, well, well, we know yeah, a little he, bit about he was, he was definitely into doing it and he wanted to do it and was very apologetic that he couldn't. Yes, 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 yes. So yes, we'll, yes, yes. we'll, we'll get that gorily at some point. Yes. All right. So what do now, we got? What do we well, got? We got some stuff coming up. Speaking of the future, we are, uh, we are, first of all, we're at the Overlook Film Festival this weekend for everyone that's uh, coming out for that. Seems like uh, a fair number of, of, of KingCast listeners are, are making the pilgrimage out for this, and we can't wait. So if you're interested in looking into that at the very last possible moment, you're going to want to go over to overlookfilmfest.com. Um, you can check out how to get, you know, badges there, uh, see the schedule. I think we're performing like midday on Saturday. Right. Uh, we'll be screening Sleepwalkers with Mick Garris in attendance. The plan is to try to record the Q&A afterwards. This is our first time doing that. And maybe there'll be some technical hiccups <laughs> that we uh, can't avoid. We don't know. We're, yes. we're learning as we go. So Kind of flying blind on this one. So it's very possible this might be an in-person exclusive should the technical side not work the way yeah. I, I hope it does. But we did. We have purchased some equipment to make it feasibly work so uh like big boys big boy podcast has big boy has podcasters because we are equipment. planning on going on the road a lot uh well a lot for us anyway this this yes. year we're, we're not gonna be like touring like Pat oswald or anything but uh no, we, no, we no, have no. a few live event plans uh in the works and for sure uh, including a big one which we're really hoping comes through uh this october so so that's the first thing uh worth mentioning in the in the near future the second mm -hmm. one is that next week we will be tackling stephen king's all new short story finn uh, with a guest uh, a friend of mine uh something of a political commentator mm. uh i will say that uh, donald very, trump jr uh, uh he's a very funny gentleman so that rule uh, rules out uh don jr <laughs> Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say anything else about the guest, but uh, Eric and I have both read this short story. Our guest has read the short story. It just hit scribbed uh, just a few days ago, less than a week ago, and uh, you can go sign up over there to read it. It's great, uh, very darkly funny, and uh, I don't know. I'm curious to see where our our the that conversation leads us. Right. And I do want to underline that uh, you can read this for absolute free. You can go to Scribd and, and sign in for like, um, I think it's a two month free trial or something Yeah, that they have. So just, uh, you know, anybody can read it. It's worth the hassle of signing up to a new, new service and stuff. And you can do it for, for free. Just uh, remember to unsubscribe if, you, uh, if you're not into the wares over there. But the story is definitely worth the, the hassle. It's a really fun story. Absolutely agreed. 
Uh, what you want to tell them about this week's bonus episode? Yeah. So on Friday uh, for the Patreon, we are interviewing Charles Ardai, who is the editor and chief. He's the main publisher at Hard Case Crime, and he uh, has worked directly with Stephen King. And we haven't really talked to people. We've talked to people who've collaborated with him on movies and the Mick Garrises of the world. And we've talked to people who've worked on Stephen King stuff and appreciate Stephen King stuff. But we haven't really talked to anybody who has collaborated with King on this level as an editor, as a publisher. And so mm-hmm. we're going to dig into that about, uh, you know, what it's like to work with King on that end. Um, and Charles is a, an author uh, in his own regard as well, and has published many hard boiled stories through hard case crime and uh, just an all around good dude. So we're, I'm very excited to talk to him and should be noted. He was a, uh, name checked in cell he was they named that professorial character and by they i mean stephen king named the professorial character and that that uh, stacy keach played in the, the mm-hmm. very unfortunate movie who um, could forget but uh but yeah so charles ardai chatting with him all about working with stephen king uh, as an editor which is i'm very excited for for this chat we're doing that tomorrow morning we're recording that tomorrow and uh, yes indeed and uh yeah i think it's going to be great i think that does it for right now All quiet on the Western front, otherwise. Indeed. Yeah, so rate and review us. iTunes, Spotify, all that good jazz. Five-star reviews. Five stars only, baby. Five stars only. Yeah, and as usual, we have some some of our merch up at Cotet19. So you can find that. Just Google search that and them shits, and you'll find our stores. And yeah, hopefully we'll see you all on uh, Saturday for any of the New Orleans-bound KingCast contingent. All right, folks. We'll talk to you later. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. 